Will we see you at CBP Connects presented by Arrive POS in St. Louis, Missouri, June 20th to 22nd, 2022? While we strive for a day when our in-person workshops will be 100% free, we are extremely proud to offer one of the industry's most affordable events. Join us for three days of networking and education, 10 interactive workshops, three nightly receptions with drinks on CBP, and one not to miss opportunity for you to build relationships with your fellow craft beer professionals. Only $149. Huge thanks to Arrive POS, River Drive Cooperage, Strike Visuals, and White Labs for believing in CBP. See you there and learn more at cbpconnects.com. Cheers. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. These rapid-fire sessions are meant to be a brief overview to give you general insight into legal issues that impact you. I highly encourage you all to go beyond the beautiful world of the Internet to learn more. There's nothing like a conversation one-on-one with a lawyer. Anyways, we've got a great cast of characters today, and Brandon, you're to the right of me, so let everybody know a little about who you are and what you do in the craft beer world. Excellent. Uh, my name is Brandon Nazer. I'm an attorney here at Perkins Thompson up in Portland, Maine. Uh, prior to joining the firm, I was in-house counsel for a shipyard brewing company for about 10 years, uh, focusing on real estate, regulatory, compliance, uh, labeling, you name it. We sort of did it all in-house uh, and joined the firm here about four years ago. And Brandon, do you miss actually working at a brewery? Some days, yes. Some days, no. I, I can control the chaos a little bit better from my office. And frankly, when I tell the brewer owner no, I don't know that they actually ignored my advice. So it, it lowers the stress level a little bit. Understood. Dan, always great to see you again. How are you today? Doing well. How are you? I can't complain. So you're in Pennsylvania. And what do you do in the craft beer world? Yeah, so my name is Daniel Jones. I'm with Stone Eisenberg. We're Philly-based, um, but we cover um, most of the Mid-Atlantic area. Um, we're able to help out with everything from beginning to end. So, you know, property to intellectual property to, you know, uh, business dissolution, if it comes down to that. Um, but yeah, I always say that we uh, not only understand the facets of the legal realm, but we understand beer, beer culture as well. Um, so we're always happy to help uh, with a, an understanding mind. And that's why I always love having you. Well, thanks for being here again. John, always a pleasure. And you'll be presented at the upcoming virtual conference as well. So I get to see you a few times in the next couple of months. But John, uh, for anyone who hasn't had the pleasure to, to listen to you or learn from you, who are you? Uh, I, John Simichlitz. Uh, I'm with Beer Law Center. We're based out of uh, Raleigh, North Carolina and practice in uh, North Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia, and a little bit in D.C. Um, and, you know, uh, like like Daniel, like everybody on here, we sort of cover the entire gamut from startup to what seems to be lately a rash of buying and selling, uh, doing a lot of uh, consolidation and moving things around. So, uh, you know, good to be on the on with everybody today. And out of all the areas you interact, do you have a favorite? Um, you mean in terms of states or, or practice areas or what? Yeah, practice areas. Practice areas. Um, I, I guess I take a certain amount of joy in telling clients, no, you can't do that. No, that's, that's <laughs> totally not legal. Um, you know, so I, I guess from that stand, stand, standpoint, I, I enjoy the compliance side. Um, and I, I tell people it's always easier to tell me what you want to do and then we'll figure out how to do it rather than ask me what the hell the, the rules are. So um, that's, you know, playing with that sort of stuff is what I enjoy. 
Awesome. And because you did mention, you know, location based areas, you know, what's your favorite state outside of North Carolina? Outside of, well, I'm kind For of any reason, not just legally speaking. Right. So um, I'm got to go with Virginia, Virginia, man. Think about where he is. <laughs> right. Uh, I do like Virginia, but, you know, uh, my most recent beer vacation was California. So, you know, between the wine and the beer, uh, I don't remember much of that trip. So. Sounds like a quality getaway. That's right. Derek, you are also in North Carolina. Thank you for joining us today. I am Derek Allen calling in from Asheville, North Carolina. Um, I've been doing this for 25 years this year. That's kind of a wild number for me to say. I was also at the big firm called Brooks Pierce for a dozen years and then another big firm called Warden Smith for a dozen years and then started our own shop here uh, just over two years ago. We started with six attorneys and now we're at 16. We've got three more coming this fall, so we'll be at 19, which is kind of bananas. Um, we do um, really all things inside of, I call it the craft lifestyle experience. Uh, people think we just do craft beer. John's heard me say this a bunch. Um, and I see beer really as a um, kind of a commodity inside of this craft experience that everybody wants, a lifestyle kind of way of living and practicing. And um, it's a lot of fun. So we do lots in outdoor gear and music, uh, obviously in food and bev, in the brewery world. Um, uh, I was kind of on the front edge of the craft brewery piece. We represented Sierra Nevada and New Belgium and Oscar Blues when they landed in North Carolina. And so we still represent uh, the big guys all the way down to teeny tiny ones. And John is dead ass right. Uh, there's a bunch of buying and selling right now. Um, and there are a lot of reasons we may get into that as part of this presentation, but there are a lot of those going on right now. So, uh, and there's a way to do it and, and a way not to do it. And uh, we can talk about that if that, uh, if that comes up today. It's going to come up. Before we get into that, two questions for you, Derek. First, what's the last concert you went to? Uh, last concert pre-COVID was Sturgill Simpson. Last concert uh, this go-around was uh, Isabel. Good picks there. Now, this next question is nothing against Brandon and Dan. You're in uh, Maine and you're in Pennsylvania, two great states. I've actually never visited Maine. I really want to come visit. But I've truly been fascinated by the growth of craft beer in North Carolina. Derek and John, why has North Carolina grown so much over the past you know, five years? I'll take a crack and then and then let John jump on it. Um, you know, pop the cap was critical, obviously. Uh, being able to go um, with higher ABVs, you know, that, if that didn't exist, um, crap beer wouldn't be what it is in North Carolina. Uh, then two big things. Um, <clears throat> one, North Carolina is the best of the worst. So in the Southeast, we have the, the best beer laws um, out of everybody else. And everybody's been kind of catching up. Uh, South Carolina had their stone bill. Uh, Virginia, I think, probably leapfrog South Carolina in terms of being right for it. Um, but a big thing that happened was when uh, all the big boys and, and girls started looking from West Coast to, to East Coast, and that was primarily driven by distribution. And beer is a dumb product. It's really expensive to ship. And so having it closer to the customers is, is, is where the name of the game is. And before there was the proliferation of tons of local breweries, you could sling crap beer into a market that was thirsty for it, no pun intended, um, and get away with it. And so when the, uh, the big, uh, big guys wanted to come east, they saw that they could come. And they were looking for a centrally located place. Uh, the tip of North Carolina here in Asheville was right in the middle of this part of the, of the country. Um, and those uh, big breweries were all looking at the same number. And that number was 
60% of their beer consumption nationally was east of the Mississippi. And so they're able to come to Asheville and get out to the East Market, you know, northwest, east, south. We have an hour uh, 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 truck ride down to uh, Rail and Greer, uh, South Carolina. That gets them down to Charleston. So that gets them to a deep water port. It just set up really well for distribution. And we can talk about, you know, the water's good here, but we all know water has to be exactly what it is, wherever they're coming from, for them to make, you know, beer that goes into a green can or bottle. So I don't think that's it. But also, also the culture was very accepting. And so I think that part felt right. And so we ended up with these big giant breweries that came in. And when they came in, they pushed the culture for everybody else that came along. They pushed the rules, whether they knew it and, and did so intentionally or not. We were pushing the rules and we were creating beer law at, at, at that point. Um, and I think that's made it ripe you know, all the way around. And so those, those big guys have seen their market share in each of those in all the small cities go away as, you know, pick your favorite brewery in your hometown or a place you like to visit has uh, come up. And that's, that on-site sales, if that's your, your model, that on-site sales, I see that kind of as a, a limitless thing. Uh, it's kind of like asking how many you know restaurants are too many or how many coffee shops are too many. On-site sales uh, has been king yeah, and we've realized it in, in our part of, uh, of the world uh, for you know a long time. No, that's really great insight there, Derek. John, how about you? What are your thoughts on why craft beer in North Carolina has been successful? You know, Derek hit it right on the head when I, the, the best of the worst, um, <clears throat> the Southeast in general is God awful, um, you know, when it comes to, you know, restrictive laws and so forth. But, you know, I think one of the things that uh, has really helped us uh, as a as a state um, I think we've got sort of four big areas in my mind around the state. We've got at one end, the, the coast. Okay, we've got a tourism industry there. And the mountains, we've got a tourism industry in Asheville and that side. We've also got a tremendous arts community that has a tremendous value for artisanal products and handcrafted stuff. And then in between, we've got Charlotte, which is a financial hub. And we've got RTP in the Raleigh-Durham area, which has turned into a pharmaceutical uh, and biotech hub. And really, that's kind of been growing for the last 30 odd years. And one of the things that I think really was a turning point for us as a state actually goes back to like the 2008 sort of Great Recession, right, where um, North Carolina was not hit nearly as bad as other states were. Um, and so there was still people with discretionary income. There was the real estate market wasn't hit as bad. And so you end up with these these clusters of people with, you know, good jobs, good education, and discretionary income, that's prime for any craft beverage or any craft, you know, uh, opportunity. So I think that really helped us. And we're, we're starting to see now, as, as Derek said, other states are starting to be more progressive than we are, you know, and we're sort of, uh, well, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, and that's, that's getting to start hurting us now, I think. No, that's really great insight from the both of you. It's been a pleasure watching the growth in Carolina. But now, now a question for everybody, and Derek, you touched on it, and the theme of this is rapid fire, so no need to go too deep in the detail. But yeah, I'd love to hear one tip from all of you on something breweries should be considering when buying and selling right now, if that's something they are thinking about. Um, you give me the buyer side or seller side, and I'll answer. How about Whatever that? you want to prefer. Let's go buyer side to start. Buyer side to start. Um, buyer side to start is you know get the price right. Understand what you're selling. Uh, cut off all your liabilities. Rapid fire. I love it. Brandon, seller side. Seller side. Uh, I think, you know, 
So I was, I was alluding to the buyer side, but I think uh, on the seller side, um, ensuring that you have everything teed up in terms of um, the assets, um, numbers for the tanks, and making sure that you can tie it all and you can tie it into a ni nice bow. These exhibits get lengthy and hard to track. Um, so being as organized as you can on your assets, I think, helps make things go smoother. And how about that buyer side bonus you want to share with us? I was going to say making sure that you have a good understanding on the IP, the intellectual property and, and what you're buying and the risk. And, you know, if, if you have a brewery that hasn't taken the time or energy to uh, to trademark or, or get their brand protected, you got to make sure that you know what you're actually buying because then really you're just buying the liquid inside the bottles and what does that work? Yeah, we're going to be 90% of the works on, on the buyer side. Um, that's where you're really digging in. That's where you know most of the legal fees are going to be on that buyer side, and you got to understand what you're doing. And you know, kind of the free joint uh, Tuesday on on buyer side. Try to figure out a way to minimize down days if that's important to you, especially if you're going to keep that brand. If you're not keeping the brand, you know, do it on your own timeline. But if you're keeping the brand, figure out a way that you have a sale on Tuesday and you're open on Wednesday. Dan, how about you? I was going to take Brandon's point from seller side, saying that uh, so let's make sure that they have all their IP, you know, everything's filed, everything's teed off, um, because you know that's a huge asset that a lot of breweries overlook. Uh, so it's important to make sure that that's squared away. And John, obviously, we're not going to cover this in a minute and a half, but what's, what tip would you like to add to the pot? Um, real quickly, is two things. One, I love this industry because people are so creative. I hate this industry because people are so creative. Um, and, and so the, the, the two things that, that always stick out with me and I try and hammer home, whether I'm seller side or buyer side is planning and due diligence. And neither one are really well structured. And a lot of people kind of shoot from the hip. Well, this, this opportunity came up, let's go ahead and grab it. Time out. Let's understand what the hell we're doing first. So. And I think the other thing while we're talking is the three tiered system. And it's come up a number of times where, oh, I own a group of restaurants and I want to add a brewery to my portfolio hold on, you probably can't. Uh, so knowing who your ownership group is and who you're either buying from or selling to could, could be big on your, your licensing depending on your state. Yeah, I'll follow up with another free zone on that. You can't unless you back up and do it a different way. Uh, on some of the on those, and, and John knows exactly what I'm talking about, yep. uh, you can come in and redo your permits for your, at least in North Carolina, you can redo your permits uh, to allow those uh, restaurants to be, uh, to count as your standalone tap rooms. Uh, and do it that way, uh, but you have to fix the permitting on that side or purchase the brewery in the name of that retail permittee. So North Carolina, you get uh, the taproom at your brewery plus three standalones. And I think that you get unlimited in terms of if you have a brewing facility at at a location, I think that does not count against your three. You said you think is the law of for interpretation in Carolina on that one? Well, I can give you a bunch of real world practical examples of why that's the case. Uh, it's not written down anywhere and in North Carolina that always makes me a little nervous because uh, if you call it ABC, they'll tell you that if it's not explicitly permitted, then it's prohibited. Uh, so that's a bad place to start. Um, I will tell you this, uh, all of the bigger breweries in North Carolina have their own tap rooms. Um, even when they have more than one location, I'm thinking about Wicked Weed, for example, uh, all of them have a tap room at their location. And in any event, they don't, uh, they don't um, comply with the tap room, three tap rooms, because they are more than 100,000 barrels each year in terms of what they distribute. And because they don't 
comply with that, they don't get a tap room. They don't get a standalone tap room. So by implication, that means that they have to have a tap room at their brewing location. And if a big brewery can have a tap room at their brewing location, I think every brewery gets a tap room at a brewing location. And this comes and we back can get to into what counts as brewing, and that's a, that's a different question. But yeah. that comes back to, to Brandon's point, the three-tier system, because that is very, very specific to North Carolina. Um, <clears> and whatever those rules are and different ways to play with stuff, you know, the self-distribution alone is, is you know, a, a something we could probably spend an hour on. So, Well, and back to, to John's point um, uh, earlier, which was tell me what you want to do and, and I can tell you how to do it. The earlier in the process that you're able to do that to any of the four of us, the more help that we can give you, the less time you're going to spend redoing things, the less money you're going to spend, the faster it's going to be, the safer you're going to be. Because once something gets sideways, at least in North Carolina, if it gets sideways at the ABC, it stays sideways through the whole project. Um, it, it, it's the damnedest thing. So, yeah, let's start early on the process. Obviously, it's great to reach out to all of you and experts, you know, as someone's in the early planning stages. And there's been a lot of, lot of conversations about intellectual property. First one being what... On a scale of one to 10, how necessary is to trademark the brewery name before opening? And this is a question we had recently. I, I'll start with my rule, um, not to answer first, uh, but <clears throat> if, if you can't afford to live without it, uh, protect it. Like that's it. Um, you spend a lot of money on it, become part of, uh, I think Brandon talked about the IP and it becoming part of the identity of the space and your location and what's in the in the glass or bottle, uh, can or bottle and the name become part of that affinity for that personality that becomes the brewery. And if you have to change your name three years in, four years in, that, that's a big deal. So um, I look at it really as, as, as a property right that you have to, to know that you've got it because giving it up sucks. In the play right. devil's advocate, is there ever a situation when someone shouldn't trademark it? Sure, when it's named after the town you're in. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, there, there are times when you can't, uh, and then you can kind of get that secondary meaning. And I, I look at it almost like a hierarchy, right? Your core brand, the, the blank brewing company is probably the most important. Your what I call sub-brands. If you're going to do a one-off, don't spend the money. If this is going to be to Derek's point, something that you can't live without and it's going to become your main brewing company you know at shipyard it's pumpkin head uh back in the day um that's that's important and you gotta gotta protect it um but if we uh, you don't have to do every one-off and every every brand and budgets matter too yep. the, the conversation i always have with clients <clears throat> is about shelf space even if you're just coming out if you're just selling on site it's about how people think about you, right? And whether you're selling on site or trying to get that that six or you know six pack space in the in the grocery store, it's getting damn crowded. And so the earlier you can protect that name, especially when hopefully people are planning, you know, a year two years ahead on opening a brewery, the earlier you can stake that claim to that mark, um, the better off you are. And what other situations besides a brewery named after a town or a city or a state? Are examples of when you may not be able to trademark if it's so common that that it's not um eligible for protection um so if it's so common but if it's so common you know so there are two things that you use trademarks for right one is to protect it so someone can't take it away from you later on the other is is really to box people out from from using it and there are commonplace names you know i'll use Asheville brewing company because that gets to you know what we were said about the geography 
they're long enough now where they've been in it for, you know, 11 years. And so they've got the second day registration that they now have, but it took forever to get there. And someone theoretically could have come into that and take it. But I mean, who's going to do that? I mean, that's in, in a small town, that's kind of dumb. It's possible, but there are things that aren't geographies that you could do that with. Uh, and it may be some, you know, two towns over or whatever. Um, and you end up with it. I had a, a big trademark dispute that involved the word district. Um, a while back. And if you look up district in the alcohol space, and that's another part I'll get to after this, you look up district, there's a ton of districts, tons of districts. And I was like, I was like, pick a better name, like just pick a better name if you want to be protected, or you can go fight this, you know, this group from Atlanta that has way more money than you do. That just seems like a dumb exercise to me. Um, the thing I was going to say that's, you know, third free joint of the day is uh, that trademark space is becoming uh, there's lots of bleed over between uh, energy drinks, soft drinks, soft drinks, getting into the energy drink and alcohol space. Uh, it's getting very, very, um, there's a lot of, of trademark areas out there. It's the monster acquisition. Monster just took over and they they are, if I can tell, trademark bullies, for lack of a better word. They, they are very aggressive in protecting. And now that they have gotten into the, the alcohol beer world, um, you know, there was always some overlap with restaurants. There was always some overlap with spirits and with wine. But now we're getting into, you know, it's the same class technically. So it's, it's going to be narrower and narrower. I've got one with coffee right now. And I've, that, that actually, that monster would help me because I had to send up a season assist to a big old Coca-Cola. Um, and monster coming into the space really made one of my points much more clear. Well, and going back to, you know, when you can, when you should, that sort of stuff. And it, it Derek's absolutely right. Um, pick a different name. Pick a different name. Uh, the one that that um, I always go back to, and this is this example is what 15 years old now. Um, uh, Rockford, Illinois. There was a Rockford Brewing Company, and then uh, about 20 miles away, somebody started Rockford Brewery because the guy's last name was Rockford. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, one dude's last name you could probably register that, but is it confusing because it's so close in geography? There's, I mean. Pick a different name. Just pick a different name. Um, we've got uh, North Carolina has two really good examples around stuff like that. One is the fact that within what ten miles of each other, we have a Carolina brewery and a Carolina brewing company. Okay, it is what it is. Uh, and what the other one, in the ass. yeah, what a pain in the ass. And then my my personal favorite example, I always use. The, I give to clients. Pick something that is truly different and unique. Uh, everybody here knows the words fanciful, right? Pick something fanciful. And my favorite example is here in Durham or just north of here in Durham, Ponysaurus. Congratulations, you've invented a new word. Nobody else has that. Yes, register that, damn it. Um, but, you know, uh, um, uh, happy birthday? No, it, no. Well, I like I like Ponysaurus. The one I, I like is uh, so Wicked Weed. So it, we started Wicked Weed, and they're like just a little LLC, and kind of watch this thing spin off into the world. But uh, Walt Dickinson, um, I'll never forget this. We're trying to trademark all these names. They trademarked everything for a while, and so he'd bring these names in. And I'd be like, no. He's like, you haven't even looked it up. I was like, I don't have to look it up. I'm telling you, no. Uh, I was like, make up a word. And so he came back two days later. He goes, Bredesen. I was like, what's that mean? He goes, I don't know. I made it up. <laughs> awesome. Now you're getting the trademark idea, right? <laughs> I love it. Now, Dan, I'll throw this one at you. We'll dive into beer names. You know, we talked about the brewery names right now. How about beer names? You know, should breweries trademark all, all beer names? So 
I think Brandon made this point earlier. You don't need to trademark, you know, every one-off. Um, but if it's going to be one of your flagships, um, then, you know, it's definitely something to consider. If it's going to be part of your brand that you're incorporating, you know, that's a 10. That's something that you're going to want to protect. And it's going to be an asset later on if you merge or sell your brewery. Um, and there are also ways to, you know, come up with a creative beer name um, and maybe cut some corners financially. Just, you know, instead of hiring one of us to do a search, do a Google search first. You know, see if anybody else out there has is, is come up with it. And even if they have, maybe it's somebody across the country, you can reach out to them, maybe work something out. You know, it's not the end of the world if you have the same beer name, if you're in Florida and there's, you know, a brewery in Washington that has the same name. Um, usually, you know, you can work something out. So there are definitely ways to, to save costs and be smart about, you know, preserving your brand. And I'll say, you know, we have in, in the alcohol industry or in particular the craft beer side, we've got this wonderful tool that a lot of other trademark attorneys don't have uh, called Untapped. Um, for God's sakes, if there's one sixth dry hop one weird way with one weird name in Dubuque, Iowa, it's on Untapped. <laughs> so look, you know, do a Google search, go on Untapped. And it, like, like Dan said, you at least see what's out there. Sometimes it doesn't matter because that was like six years ago and it was a one-off, nobody cares. But if you find out, hey, that is the flagship for that place in Dubuque, Iowa, they're probably going to fight for it, right? Or they're going to do, you know, be, be opposed to it. Um, and it's amazing. I'm sure everybody here kind of has that 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 same experience. So like, you know, just Google Untapped. This, this is not hard. And some of these, yeah, I don't need to look up. I can tell you somebody's got that. No, John and Dan and everyone else here, you know, how valuable is it to have the trademark versus, say, the domain? Like, say I buy fancifulbrewing.com, but I don't trademark it. And Derek decides he wants to open Fanciful Brewing in Asheville. And I own the domain, but he's somehow fighting for the trademark. How does that play out? Anybody Your want domain to talk about became the really expensive. Yeah, well, yeah. And so maybe it did, maybe it didn't. Maybe they're going to you know, work around it. It's kind of like right. saying, you know, I've got you know the nike swoosh but you got the nike shoe and you know which one's more expensive i'd rather have the shoe and not the swoosh um but it, you know I, I, the, the domain is you know you can work around that you can go buy it you can come up with something that's close enough to get it there but the trademark's where it's at and that's what you can go enforce i will add this part in uh, trademark uh, disputes are super expensive so if you like actually get into a real trademark dispute you know you can go and start counting by tens of thousands of dollars um, so they're really expensive. So, you know, that cost on the front end, and that's why I say, you know, can you afford to live without it? If you can, eh, maybe not, maybe not protect it. If you can't, um, you know, that, you know, $3,500, uh, will go a long way. And it's typically an important note. It's typically not covered by insurance. So if you, if you get a lawsuit filed against you, you're, you're covering it yourself. It's not, you know, I have seen it covered in insurance in certain situations, but nine out of 10 times, you're not getting insurance coverage. Well, and I'll throw out there too, and I think hopefully everybody will back me up on this. There's, there's this kind of misunderstanding about trademark is just one thing. It's really not, right? And, and part of that discussion is brand management, part is you know your image, your story, all that sort of stuff. When we talk about trademark as an asset, and it is, there's also this secondary discussion you have to have with folks, and Derek uh, mentioned it kind of in passing earlier, is do you want the sword or do you want the shield, right? I've got people who will just register the mark. I'm never going to police it. I don't want to you know, box anybody in, but I want to make sure nobody can take it from me. 
And that's a different strategy and it's got a different asset value if you go to sell than somebody who's like, no, I've cleared the field and there isn't anybody else out there and I've been policing this. It, you know, you have to be real strategic about what you're going to do, what you're trying to get out of this. And sometimes, especially early on in, in, in a brewery, that's not where that's where not where people's heads are at. So let's say, Brandon, that monster sends my brewery a cease and desist because we have something that they think we shouldn't be able to name. What's the first step a brewery should do to handle that? I'd probably call one of us. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I had a feeling that's what you were going to say. How about how about somebody normal, less monstery? Um, yeah. What would your advice be, Brandon? Say that again. You cut out a little bit on it. If it wasn't monster, say it. You know, say it's a more normal situation because uh, I bet yeah. it's the same thing that all of us are going to say. Yeah. No, I think a normal situation is I. You know, on both sides, if if some if a client comes to me and says, "Hey, I found this other brewery using my name," or or I got this letter, my first advice is it's always better to try to do brewery to brewery owner before you get lawyers involved it 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 puts the the temperature way up when when a cease and desist or a letter comes from a lawyer typically to i think daniel's point you know most of these groups can work it out although i feel like over the last and i don't know if it's COVID or if people are more adversarial but uh, i've had a couple of recent experiences where they're not as willing to work and i've had to get involved and there's been some frustrations from brewery owners on okay you've got to send a letter now and then it sort of escalates and uh, I'm happy to do it, but but no, it's always better business owner to business owner, not just the beer world, frankly. I think anytime you're dealing with two small businesses, talk it out. You're both in the same world. You, you know what's going on. I've even started doing this. Don't email, call them. Yeah, I agree. I think a phone call is even better or, or a brief email saying, hey, you know, I own XYZ Brewery. Can we, can we find a time to chat? I want to talk to you about one of your brands. Um, and one of the things I always try and talk to, to, to clients about, specifically about this issue, is uh, I think probably the, the craft alcohol industry in general, but certainly craft beer, you got to be much more sensitive to perception and optics, right? We, you know, I haven't seen anything in the last you know couple of years, but there was a rash for several years of every nasty C&D letter got posted to the Internet, right? And, and now somebody who is just trying to do their job and hired a lawyer to write a CND. Now they come off looking like a jerk. Um, and so I've even, you know, advised clients, you know, if 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 you do get that, no, they're not willing to work, or they're going to, you know, uh, um, you know, stall a little bit. I would start suggesting pre CND letters, right? That are just, hey, by the way, we're this. We think we've got these rights. We're sure you didn't mean to infringe on them or anything, but we're just doing our job here, and you know. Just like with email, you don't know where this thing is going to go. So write, even if you're, you're not a lawyer, write like this could show up on your Facebook page tomorrow, you know, because it could, honestly. We've seen it happen a couple of times. And so making sure, I always tell people, take the high ground. You want to be the one that looks like you're doing the right thing here, not, not being a bully. No, that's great advice there, John. Now, you mentioned earlier that there's so much creativity in craft beer and arguably, you know, marketing is half the game. But let's talk marketing on social media for a second now. Beer pricing and specials. Is that type of stuff things breweries can post publicly on their social media feeds? Anybody? Oh, you guys aren't on social media? I'll say that there are others out there that, that, you know, a while back TTB put out a circular. It says social media is advertising. If you can't advertise it in print, you can't put it on social media. 
Um, now, mm -hmm. some states are seeing that very differently. Um, North Carolina, I don't think we're doing as good a job about policing that stuff. And there's a difference between what you what's legal and what people haven't gotten caught at yet. Um, but, you know, it, they need they we need to treat social media like advertising. So, be so the brewery I've seen say, you know, half off Mondays probably shouldn't be doing that. I think it depends on the state. I think it on the state. I'll tell you what I do. So half off Mondays here, if you put it up on a social media post and ran it all day and it was you know, available to everyone is probably fine. Uh, where what I see a bunch is cross tier cooperation. I see that all the time. So first thing I do, John's heard me say this before. John and I do a bunch of presentations together. So uh, first thing I do, I'm just kind of sitting there in bed, rolling through, and I you know go through all my my beer clients and make sure that their social media posts don't have anything stupid in it. And if it does, they're like screenshot. Hey Andrew, you can't really do this. Friendly heads up. This is why. And they're like, oh shit, I didn't know our marketing person did that. Thank you. And then. Coupled with that is, you know, making sure folks are educated on what you can and can't do in North Carolina. You know, the things that we see a lot are cross-tier uh, cooperations. We see uh, unintended violations of our different variations of happy hour rules um, and giving away free beer. Uh, so those kinds of things um, we see from time to time. Bingo's a weird one. Don't even get to that. The types of events they have um, uh, can sometimes trigger me going, hey, uh, what's your uh, music licensing look like? Because you're getting ready to get nasty grams from ASCAP, CSEC. We'll dive into that in a little bit. Yep. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, th those are the kinds of things I look for. Um, so I, I don't I didn't want to be flipped with my answer. No, it's rapid fire, but it depends. And, and one of the other things, and it would probably be rare, but you've got to be careful on publishing your pricing. I mean, a lot of states have price postings, but you're, you could be tra tracking into some antitrust price fixing issues as well that have, have come up. Uh, I see it more in the distributor world than in the brewery to brewery world, but I, it is one of those things that's lurking out there not to. Distributors yeah. price fixing? Come on. <laughs> Pshaw. Hey, it just so happens they went up 10%. Maybe you should think about it too. <laughs> no payola, man. No payola. Before we move off of this this kind of topic, I do want to give a shout out to one of my favorite Instagram accounts. I was going to ask you for it anyway. I love yeah. it. Trademark and and that sort of stuff. If y'all are not following Intellectual Pooperty, you should. Um, it is nothing but craft beer packaging that is a clear you know, trade on somebody else's trademark, whether it's Fruit Loops or Hershey's or and it's just people sending in these bizarre stuff. And, you know, every now and then I'm like, crap that's one of my clients i guess i need to go say something to him you know it's like you're gonna get a c and d if you're not careful you know it's probably I, not a I have a client who kept putting beer uh like rock and roll stuff i was like we have an entire thing called the cease and desist series and it is just that <laughs> okay so Derek, follow up how bad of idea is that for a brewery to know that they're taking someone else's intellectual property and use it anyways uh, it's a bad idea to me you know you're probably going to get a cease and desist. Um, you're almost definitely going to get a cease and desist, depending on who it is. And you can stop it and disgorge your profits. And you're probably not going to have to pay anything. To me, though, I think it's a statement about your brewery. To me, I think it is silly, kitschy. It, it tells me as the consumer or maybe the professional working for them or maybe another brewery that that brewery is not a serious brewery. Uh, it. it I, I'll go along with that. And I say, I'd say that, you know, at one end of the spectrum, it's, um, it, it, it's 
kitschy, it's interesting, it's funny, ha-ha, giggle, but also says you, you, you struggle with some creativity, right? That you have to look to somebody else's something to, to package a good idea. Um, but, you know, I've got an entire shelf of things that I just keep, you know, I, I get, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm going to buy that just because that's going on the shelf is a, a, a not a good idea. You know, those sort of things. Um, and actually, go ahead. I was going to say something I've noticed with um, the increase in dessert stouts is a lot of people are uh, sticking it to Hershey uh, and they've started to stick up for themselves. And, you know, sometimes it's not so much like stealing Reese's, but the the slogan that they've created, you know, because now you're so it's not a great idea to, you know, uh, knock somebody off. But if you're going to do it, you know, maybe pick the the aspect of their mark that they're not going to get as upset about yeah dan can you give us an example i, I don't want to call anybody out um, but... make it up I, I tell you, instead of doing the band here's one instead of doing the band um and you know having you know eddie van halen's you know signature red black and white on the can you know find a lyric inside of a, a van halen song that is you know, pretty nuanced that only a fan would know, or even better yet, do a riff off of that nuance so that only a fan would really know. Um, I think that would be the way that I would do it if I was trying to say, you know what, I want to show some my respect to this band and it's cool uh, without really ripping them off. And Don, uh, John, for everybody listening after the fact, what are you holding up right now? So I, I've got a can that's just exactly what, what Derek was saying is, uh, you know, cruising down the street in my six foe, right? This was right out of a, a, a nice, you know, if, if you grew up in the 90s listening to rap, you know that one, right? Um, and it's somebody not, not but, you know, and there's a 64 Impala on it. And it, it's, it's nobody's going to get, I don't think somebody's going to get a cease and desist over that. It's one line out of one song that, you know, okay, somebody's going to like, going to ping on that. And I think they did a good job with it. Also a great beer, by the way. I was going to say, is it any good? Yes. That's, that's yeah. a question every time. And it was a uh, um, it was a West Coast IPA, so that was a nice tie in the West Coast. Yeah, so. tasty. But to take a step back, you would probably advise before they put the name on a can or their board or put it out somewhere, ask one of you for if, if they should. I think that's always. I tell folks anytime you've got that little, eh, what do you think? Give me a shout, man. Shoot me a text. It probably doesn't cost you anything for something like that. I'll be like, shitty idea, terrible idea. Let's talk. If it's less talk, then we start the clock. But. Um, just those kinds of things, happy to do it. And I'm happy to look at labels all the time too, or an, uh, an advert. If you want to send an advert to me, you know, screenshot it, shoot it to me, send me your, your mock-up. I'll look at that. It doesn't cost you anything unless we get into, you know, is this legal? And I go do some research on it. Derek, I'm imagining this as an infomercial right now with your number just scrolling across the bottom. Like, text me now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the other thing I would say too is if, you know, you're worried about stealing um, some band lyrics are infringing infringing on their, trade, their trademark, reach out to them. Um, you know, it, it doesn't hurt. They might say, hey, cool, we want to do a collab with you. We're also five white guys, four of us have beards. Uh, be careful you're not, you know, appropriating culture. These are also things that you want to consider because that goes to your brand too. You know, I mean, at its most financial it goes to your brand there are other reasons you definitely shouldn't do it but this is part of your identity you know everybody's going to see it be thoughtful about what you're doing I, that's yes. a great point you know in, in making statements every time you put something out there whether it's social media or on a can um you know 
it, it's a statement and there are, you know, the statement for what it is and then for all the things that maybe you're not intending. And so you got to be really thoughtful about those things, uh, particularly in this day and age, particularly in this industry, because, you know, it is under some pretty intense scrutiny. There was a, a, um, a meme or a, a nice diagram. I forget if it was M. Sauter that, that put it out or not, but there was a really nice flow chart for beer names, right? And it's a, you know, it's, you start here and you go down at one point, it's like, are you calling out a particular social demographic? Yes. Are you a member of that social demographic? No, then don't do it. Right. Yeah. You know, it had that sort of, you think about that. Cause I think Dan is absolutely right. You know, people are creative and, and have a great sense of humor. And sometimes we can be insensitive about that. Um, and so, you know, we have to remember that, it is a statement about the entire brewery. It is, and in fact, it's a statement about you personally if you're not careful. Um, and we need to, you know, it, it's it was different, you know, 30 years ago when the furthest you could reach was as loud as your voice was, right, or as far as your beer was distributed. But with the internet, you know, you could start getting really nasty things from across the country or across the world if you're not careful about what you're putting out there. No great insight on that. I thought my beard was coming in. That's like <laughs> someday, Derek. Someday. <laughs> but let's stick to the social media questions for a minute. We've got a few rapid fire ones I want to throw your way. Like for websites and social, is adding the boilerplate twenty one and plus only is it really enough, or should breweries be adding it to every video or just listed in the profile? Recommendations? So I, when I was at Shipyard, this gets to John's point. All social media is advertising. So technically. Uh, if you have a YouTube video, it's not just the 21 plus, but it's that drink uh, safely language, you know, XYZ Brewing Portland, Maine technically needs to be on the scrolling on the bottom of your YouTube video, radio commercials. If you're doing, um, you'll hear some of the bigger brands really fast in like nanoseconds saying, you know, Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee. Um, so, you know, 21 plus is, is important for a gatekeeper, but in terms of that required language, it should technically be on everything. If you're advertising in your local newspaper, put it at the bottom. So put it on everything, they should put it on every post they put advertised in their tap room? What, uh, it, for social media, for like Facebook and Instagram, I think as long as you have it as part of your profile, I think that typically, it's good enough. I think there's some mixed opinions out there, but but that's what I advise is at least have the the city and state uh, and and name of the brewery, formal name of the brewery. So if you're XYZ Brewing Company LLC, make sure that formal name is there that you're registered with the TTB with. I like yeah, I like in the profile. That's a good yeah. Brandon just nailed it. So looking at social media, what are some mistakes you all see breweries make with regard to posting things they probably shouldn't post? I mentioned the one about the cross tier stuff, um, and you know, that there it just occurred to me uh, when when Randall's talking about you just don't know, and you're better safe than sorry in terms of, of overkill. Uh, there was a California case where uh, is either retweeting or liking something ended up being cross tier. Um, so you know, if you got into the weeds on that, you really could. And you know, with the cross tier stuff, you see it coming in cycles. And so we end up with uh, no one's enforcing, no one's enforcing it. And John and I are getting questions. Hey, brewery down the street's doing this. And like, doesn't make it legal. And I give the example of, you know, people driving 90 and a 55. And I was like, they didn't get a ticket today, but they might get one. I was like, don't worry about it. If you, you know, always the line, it's not that hard. And so what happens is they keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. And so it gets to this 
uh, critical stage and the ALE comes in and says, all right, everybody's getting a ticket. Everybody's getting a ticket for drinking at a beer festival. Everybody's getting a ticket for cross-tier promotions at a race. And those are just two that, that I've dealt with in the last seven or eight years. Um, that's my one. The second one was the, uh, you know, stay out of the comment section. Um, you know, know that what you said, just like we, Daniel said, everything you put out there is a statement. Um, and you start getting to the comment section about something that is sensitive, political, um, controversial. You need to back up because that thing is going to go sideways in a hurry. And the other thing I cringe at, and I, I haven't had uh, an, an issue, but I always kind of cringe and reach out is, you know, cute kid photos, right? The kid holding the case of beer, the kid holding the can or the baby with the, the can in their stroller. It's funny, it's kitsy, but it's, you can't be advertising towards children. And, uh, you know, locally, there's been a big push on uh, flavored tobacco products and those being banned. And there was somebody, a local reporter or, or radio person said, is, is flavored beers or flavored seltzers the next thing? You know, you have the, the hard sodas coming in. Uh, so just be really careful on these, the folks that you think are cute. They may be on the surface, but there may be underlying issues with them. And that's a great transition, Brandon, because babies are obviously super cute. What about puppies? Are puppies safe in these pictures? That doesn't bother me as much. It's not proud. You may have some animal rights people, uh, but I think Bush has their own dog beer now um, that I've been advertised. So let's go further to the dog. Let's talk about dogs in tap rooms, because this has been something, you know, I was going somewhere with this, Derek, I swear. Uh -huh. okay. I, thought, I thought you were going to go from the, the baby onesie to like the dog, like blanket thing, where both of them say IPA a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got that one yet for my two-year-old. Dan, how about you? Uh, no, no. She's Not just yet. in a screaming phase at this point. So. <laughs> but, but looking at breweries that decide to allow dogs in their tap rooms, what are some legal considerations they should be thinking about? Because it could turn into not an ideal situation. Yeah. Rapid fire advice on that one. We well, have a problem here. Go ahead, John. I was going to say before we get into like the 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 health code side, and that's yeah. going to vary state to state. I will say I've worked with a couple of breweries now who you know for reasons you know that, that they can have the the dogs in the tap room. We have started to okay. Here's our policies around dogs. Right, no off the leash, no this, no that. Just from a liability standpoint. Um, and then, you know, kind of kitschy, we had the, you know, here's our dog policy. And literally right next to it was, here's our kid policy, no off the leash, must be minded at all times, <laughs> you know, same issue, you know, when you have a family centric uh, uh, tap room, uh, which a lot of craft breweries do, where you've got dogs and you've got uh, uh, little kids and so forth, you do worry about, you know, what, what could happen here and, you know, from a liability standpoint, you really want to think about that before you just, you know, hey, everything's great. We're all great. You're OK. I'm OK. Who got bit? Right. John's exactly right on the state to state, but North Carolina also county to county um, in mm -hmm. terms of how counties are regulating that. We had that issue come up last year with uh, Greensboro and with Salem treating them, them differently at two health departments. Um, I tell folks this, if we're going to have dogs, especially if we're going to have dogs and kids, it isn't it's not if it's just when and what i would do is make sure you are in touch with your uh insurance provider and that you've got coverage for all of that say hey this hasn't happened yet but if this ever happened you know do i have coverage on this because dogs and kids man and parents not watching either one someone's gonna get bit it's a matter of time i think that's a great spot to leave that one great advice everyone so let's talk this the fair labor standards act the flsa exempt versus non-exempt status explained 
lots of breweries, they seem to think they can put anyone on salary, especially production brewers. And that means they don't have to pay them overtime. Any thoughts on that? Be careful. Um, be very careful because uh, typically, and it, it is different. Some states have even harsher at the state level, but if you misclassify an employee, you could get, they could get their fees and trouble damages and attorney's fees. Um, there's a good, uh, on the Department of Labor, there's a good checklist that sort of you can go down and, and try to answer the questions. And, and you have to be honest with yourself. Take a step back and are these people really independent, uh, not under, you know, have decision-making policies, have firing, hiring, firing decisions. Um, and then the other thing that has come up is, uh, especially in tap rooms, the tipping policy and tip wages and can you, can you pay somebody a tip wage if they're uh, collecting tips and can the tap room manager be part of that pooling? So there are a lot of wage issues that are tied in the brewery and into the tap rooms. Is that a well, and just the other side issue? of that as well? I'll say um, you've got the the hey we want to put everybody on salary so we don't have to pay overtime. And you've got the other set of groups where you know everybody's ten ninety nine. These are all you know none of these are employees. We have one employee and everybody. Well, you can't really do that either. You know you you know are these independent contractors or are you going to get smacked with a lawsuit at some point in time? Well, um, just because you call them one or the other doesn't make it true. And right. you know. I'd rather know the answer on the front end uh, with that. So talk to somebody who's, who knows about employment law and they'll say, hey, you can call them whatever you want to call them, but it doesn't change what the under, their underlying status is. Now, one yeah, other thing on that. Um, if it looks like a duck, talks like a duck, walks yeah. like a duck. It's a duck, even if you call yeah. it a lion. Um, you know, one of the things I was watching and it kind of fizzled out back in 2017 or 2018, um, but there was a move uh, to move up, you know, there's this threshold salary uh, for salaried workers, right? Salary non-exempt uh, or salary exempt, excuse me. And at one point they were gonna move that considerably um, and said, okay, if you're, you, you know, you have to really work to hard to, to justify this person being salary exempt if they're below that, that threshold. Um, right now, I think that threshold's about twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars a year. They were looking at moving that up to closer to fifty. Uh, and that actually has a bill, John, that uh, passed the committee to up the minimum salary to fifty-five thousand within the next two years. It's going to yeah, it, it, I think thirty-three in Maine right now ish. Yeah, and so we got to watch that too. Where okay, again, just because you call them salary exempt. Are you meeting the, the, the criteria? Are you meeting the thresholds? And you know, some of those are gonna be just hard and fast numbers that are like, no. Let's move it on to music. We've already talked a little bit about music. We got the hard stop on the FLSA talking about overtime and salary right now, but talking music, you know, rapid fire round, what do tap rooms need to know with regard to music licensing? Like touch on a little bit about live music versus simply streaming services. Any thoughts, Dan? So many thoughts. <laughs> First off, Dan, what are you listening to right now? Oh, man. Um, all right. Uh, I really love the Bar Brothers. So I've got them on repeat most of the time. Um, with respect to music in your tap room, um, I think if you have live bands um, and if they play a cover, you as the brewery is going to be liable. Um, it, you're not going to be able to shift the, the liability onto them. Um, there are ways you can try, but it's, you know, usually you're going to be liable first and then you might be able to recover from the band. Um, so make sure you have all your licensing um, before you have some live music. Is there well, anybody that, 
I'm going to jump on, on what Daniel just said and actually extend it out. Um, it's not just the covers. It actually goes beyond that. It goes whether or not that uh, somebody has their the music rights to it. Um, in all the bands I've ever been in, we've used something like CD Baby to record it. And if you're doing that, you've already sold off your rights. And so it could be your freaking band playing your songs at a place and it's still going to be subject to ASCAP or BMI or CSAC. You know, my, my rule is if you're going to have live music, you're eventually going to end up paying them. And when that comes down the pipe, you need to figure out what you want to do for your programming. So I have that, you know, what's this mean to you? What kind of programming do you want to do? Um, by the way, uh, in almost every place recorded music, as long as you use a professional account, is going to be exempt and so you don't have to pay anybody. But once you get into live music world or you get into enhancements, which are yoga, music trivia, music bingo, that kind of shit, you're going to end up having to pay them. ASCAP will show up first, BMI will show up second, CSAC will show up third. The international ones will show up after that. That one that's just in Tennessee right now will show up after that. Um, but that's what they'll do. And they'll send these things out and they will send you a pre-printed form and they'll have misstatements of what you're using. So they'll check every single box. They will probably uh, give you a garbage number on your occupancy, with they, which they use as a, as a multiplier. And so you need to really look at those things. And then they won't tell you that you qualify for discounts. Um, all of them give you a discount if you prepay. Uh, ASCAP gives you a pretty significant discount uh, prepaying for two years. Uh, BMI has a, a BA discount that you can get that's either 10 or 15%. So ask for every discount, uh, push those things hard, um, figure out exactly what you need and what you don't need, um, and, and then sign it up. But you can, you know, you can put them off for a good long while. I've never had anyone sued in one of those, those actions, but I do know what happens. Uh, if you keep snubbing and they kick it up the line, um, you know, you're gonna get pinched. I know there's I been a lot of threads in CBP about this over the past year that ASCAP, you know, demanding they pay right away. And, and I've, I've heard several people's, you know, clients say, I, I'm too small. They don't care about me. Yeah, they kind of do. They're, they're coming after everybody. They're actually, you know, they send people in. You can just fly under the radar forever. Yeah. They, send, they track well, your social media. They look for events. They, they track, they come in, they have regional people. You're going to pay eventually. And, and I often say, if you're going to do, if you're going to get into the live music and you're not just doing the pre-recorded Pandora professional type of thing, you're probably better off being preemptive and signing up with, you know, a reasonable uh, occupancy and a reasonable amount of music um, or events uh, rather than waiting for that letter. But I, I take your point too, Derek. You can you can sort of delay it until you get caught. I, I like messing around for a while. And and one of the rules I have is we never pay in in arrears. And so you know, if I got one today, we're not paying for january or december it's like we're going to start now or next week or the next month and go ahead and get that that two years run up uh into it but yeah, yeah you're right though Brent. if you have live music you are going to end up paying and you see to make sure that it fits with your programming does your programming demand does it economically sustain what you're trying to do if it does like do it um if not you know maybe jettison that part of your programming and you know have a dogs and kids day that's exactly it you got to decide how you know, important music is to your business. If it's not that important, do the Pandora professional, whatever. If it's going to be an integral part of your business, you're probably going to have to license up. Great advice, everyone. I've got one final question to ask you all. I appreciate the time today. And this is a question brought up during the finance panel we had last week. 
What are some suggestions for distributing ownership between partners where some are putting in most of the capital and others are putting in the sweat equity? For example, let's say, Dan, you and I open the brewery. You know, you put in 75% of the money and I put in 25% of the cash, but I'm doing all the work, you know? What I mean, you- let's do it. Let's open tomorrow, man. <laughs> let's do it. We open tomorrow. We're not wasting any time, Derek. But what should breweries be considering when bringing in partners and some are the money man or money woman and the others are putting the work in? I'll, I'll, I'll jump out there and say every time I talk to clients about, oh, we're going to give somebody so-and-so sweat equity, be very careful about that. Be very, very careful about that. And if you're going to do that, have real, real clear expectations about what the deliverables are and in exchange for what. And maybe even look at having that that equity vest over time, right? So that they're still in there. They're still making because you know a lot of times they'll set up this stuff when they file the LLC to begin with, um, and then a year goes by. And, well, I you know I gave you fifty percent of the company, and you're not doing what I thought you were doing. Too bad you already gave it to me, right? So you know getting some of that stuff done early and and be real strategic and and think real hard about that before you give away something for other than cash. Yeah. I'll tell you a way that we do it. We do it in, inside, you know, both in the sec- sweat equity piece, but also in I'm seeing a lot of uh, how do we give our brewer or our taproom manager these critical positions that for a long time just kind of bounced around. And so, you know, breweries are like, Dan, this sucks. I don't want to do that again. Let's not train up a new brewer. Let's start to give them some some pieces. And so one of the things that we do both in both those instances say, OK, you know, what were you going to pay them? Uh, and let's, you know, let's have them defer some of their uh, compensation or give them a raise, defer that that increase in the raise, and then allocate that towards their their cap account and uh, make the conversion that way. So that, that's what we do to, to address John's problem, and that, that's how we resolve it. I've also I'm, seen that just kind of restructured into a, a into rather than equity, let's restructure into a profit sharing, right? Just a, a program to give people that 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 ownership incentive without actually equity purchase you know the sure. equity assignment these were popular a while ago and this is getting probably a little bit more intricate than needed but you know that profits interest uh or even mm-hmm. equity has started to come up you got to be careful with when you have to disclose ownership is it truly ownership there are tax issues uh, that can complicate some of that but i'm starting to see more and more of that too you know we've got a key employee we don't want to change our LLC structure, but we want to sort of give him, you know, tied to our, our profits interest or, or phantom equity. Um, so no voting rights. And, and again, it, it has some tax implications, but I've seen some of that more and more recently as well. Oh, that, that phantom equity issue will, will kick somebody in the in the stomach. That's a that's a big deal. I had um, a client I worked with a couple of years ago. Uh, it's the only time I've seen this, but their uh, lender demanded or required that their brewer have at least a 5% stake in the company. It's like, interesting. That's, uh, you know, it was a strange requirement. They were set on this and okay, this is a good rate and all that stuff. Okay. So if you're going to do that, here's how we're going to structure that. You know, we're going to, you know, there's going to be an employment contract and, and we're going to structure the, the operating agreement really carefully. So if you leave, you have to sell back, blah, 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 blah. You really need to think about that because, uh, um, you know, I, the um, Ken Grossman book uh, several years ago did a great job of talking about how painful it is to get someone out of the business if they don't want to go. You know, so be be real, real strategic about that uh, early on. And I think one big takeaway for today, talk to a lawyer. They have a lot <laughs> they can teach you.
<laughs> but one last rapid fire round today. What is it going to be? Brandon, if you were to open a brewery, what would you call it? And how can people get a hold of you? Oh, geez, my my name for my brewery. I don't know. I, I, I always, you know, with my last name, Mazer, I've always wanted to do a kitschy something with a maze or a Mazer. Uh, but I, who knows? I haven't given it that much thought. I've, I've learned by working in the brewery and by doing it here, leave it to the experts. I'm going to leave it to the good, the people that can brew. I've tried to home brew. I just like enjoying good beer from the people that know how to do it. But uh, feel free to email me, bmazer at perkinsthompson.com. Happy to, to talk. Uh, my direct line here at the offices, area code 207-400-8125. Uh, you know, similar to Derek, uh, the clock's not going to start. I'd rather have you call me and talk things out uh, before you make some mistakes and would love to bring people on. And uh, as you can see, we're, we're all collegial and, you know, love working with these guys. Appreciate you being here, Brandon. Dan, you're up. What's that brewery name? Are you going to name it after your kid? No, she does have a good name though. But nah, I, I would want it to be something off the wall, like um, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard or whatever that band name is. You know, it'd be something crazy like that, but I, I'm not sure. Um, if anybody needs to get a hold of me, my email is djones at sterneisenberg.com. Um, it's really you know long and you probably misspell it. So just try to find us on the website, on the internet first. Um, yeah, it, absolutely. Reach out at any time. Um, definitely, I agree. Earlier, the better. Because um, if there's an issue, then you're just going to end up paying more. And that's, you know, nobody that's wants to do that. John, how about you? Are you going to name the brewery after yourself? Uh, I would Google Samankowitz Brewing. I would um, say John Brewing. Come on. Oh, yeah. I, would I would finally learn how to spell it. Come on. <laughs> I have to do it. Well, I figured that's, you know, the name like this is one reason I'll never have my name over the door at the office. But um, no, so we were actually joking about this the other day that, you know, we ought to have a, a brewery with a tap room called the courthouse. Right. And and have like a, a the private room as the jury box and a witness stand area for for, uh, you know, another set and, and let the bartenders dress up as, you know, judge robes and. So you kind of do some some neat things there. But I'm kind of like Brandon. I am a home brewer, been a home brewer for 20 odd years. And my worry is that starting a brewery is a great way to kill a good hobby for me. Well, we don't want to make you kill that, but how can we get a right. hold of you? Oh, right. So uh, John at BeerLawCenter.com. All the social media is at BeerLawCenter. Awesome, John. Thanks for being here today. And last yeah, but not no. least, Derek, what's that brewery going to be called? I bet you got something good. Uh, I too. So it's either going to be called on the way home brewing. So anytime my wife calls me, she's like, where are you at? I'm like on the way home. Uh, or it's going to be first press vinyl uh, and it'd be a brewery and a used record store. Ooh, nice. I think you and yeah. Dan need to connect after this call. On a prior <laughs> call, Dan was looking Just for calling. a brewery that was a used record store. I will tell you what, the guy who did uh, Dan, uh, all the um, artwork for King Gizzard and Lizard Wizard over the last couple of years, is in Asheville, and he's uh, done our last couple of band things. So I've got a bunch of his OG ink in the in the office. And I've got to come you, down. All right, sure come on down. <laughs> I'm super easy to get in touch with uh, on the socials. I'm uh, NC Brewery Law and uh, DJA uh, at AskLawNC.com. AskLawNC is the uh, is the domain name. Well, I appreciate you all for being here today, sharing your insight. Everyone watching or listening years from now. Reach out to these smart minds. They have insight to offer. See everybody soon. Cheers. Andrew, good to see you. Thanks, see you guys. Everybody. You all yeah. take care, y'all.
We are proud to keep CPP 100% free and accessible to all. If you enjoy conversations like this, please hit the subscribe button.